if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together, surrender our lives. And say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to a new episode of the Radical Together Podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, you can listen to all the previous episodes at Radical.net or by subscribing on iTunes. Now, in light of recent events surrounding the issue of abortion, today we're going to begin a two-part sermon that David preached in 2011. It's a very timely message, and it speaks directly to the recent news about Planned Parenthood and the topic of abortion as a whole. It comes from Psalm 139, entitled, The Child Yet Unborn. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Psalm chapter 139. Let me invite you to pull out those notes that you received when you came in tonight that are going to guide our time in the Word. Psalm chapter 139. A few weeks ago, I found myself standing in the middle of Cairo, Egypt, in Tahrir Square, where just a few months ago, if you watched the news, you saw masses of Egyptians gathered together in this square to stand for freedom and to celebrate freedom. Just historic picture just a few months ago and sort of stand there to talk with Egyptians, especially to talk with various Christians, pastors in Egypt and to hear them talk about freedom and entirely new ways for them. To hear on one hand just the excitement as they talked about freedom and what, what this might mean for them at the same time to be completely honest to hear especially our brothers and sisters talk with a bit of hesitancy even in some senses, fear. Nobody really knows what's going to happen in Egypt in the days ahead. Nobody knows who's going to lead in Egypt. And, and our brothers and sisters know that, that that leadership in the wrong hands could bring about greater harm for, for the church. And so we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in, in Egypt, really all over North Africa and the Middle East and just historic changes that are happening there. But all of that to come back to, as I, as I sat there thinking about what has happened in Egypt, listening to them, I, I could not help but to, on one hand, thank God for the freedoms that we enjoy, the freedoms that we celebrate on this weekend, freedom to worship like we've been doing, freedom for me to speak like I'm speaking right now. These are freedoms that we obviously cannot take for granted and yet at the same time, I was reminded that with freedom comes a significant measure of responsibility. And even, in some senses, regulation. Now, we would kind of pit freedom and regulation against one another. But the reality is, in freedom, we, we want regulation against anything or anyone that would seek to abuse freedom by harming someone else. And so that, that leads me to the, the, the two things I want to do tonight. I want to, on one hand, express deep gratefulness to God for the, the freedom 
that we have. And I know this is a great gift that we've been given and we have much reason to celebrate on this weekend. Our freedom. At the same time, I want to address tonight what is, what I'm convinced is the most morally outrageous, sinfully vicious practice that we participate in in the name of freedom. And that is abortion. In the United States, since abortion was legalized after the Roe versus Wade court decision in January of 1973, over 45 million abortions have occurred. 45 million. That averages out right now to approximately 1.4 million abortions every year. 3,000 abortions occurring every day. An abortion occurring every 20 to 25 seconds. You realize that and you realize that abortion has affected and is affecting men, women, families, children all over our country. This next stat I saw different numbers for and I went with the most conservative one that I found. But research has found that at least one third of American women have an abortion at some point in their lives. One third, one out of three Childbearing women in our country have an abortion at some point in their lives. That's, that's astounding. It's, it's eye-opening, really, even for us in this room tonight. I want to say from the start that I know there are women in this room who have had abortions. I'm, I'm certainly assuming that. I can say with almost confidence that that is... That is the case. Some of you have had abortions and, and no one in this room knows about it. Some of you have had abortions and maybe no one at all knows about it. And I'm not even going to begin to presume what is going on in your heart and mind even now or what will go on in your heart and mind as we dive into this topic tonight. Abortion has been called a, a secret killer, not only of babies but of moms whose abortions leave difficult wounds and, and deep scars. And, and so I want to be sensitive. Oh, I want to be pastorally sensitive to your mind and your heart. I want you to know from the start that we're going to look at the stark truth from Scripture about abortion tonight. We're going to see the sinful nature of abortion in the Word tonight because I want to show every person in this room who has thought about having an abortion... I want to show every person in this room who may be even at this moment thinking about having an abortion. I want to show every person in this room who will ever think about having an abortion. I want to lodge this word so deeply by the power of God's spirit in your heart so that that thought will never, ever, ever cross your mind again. I want you to hate abortion after tonight because God hates abortion. I want to show you why that is. And this is not just for childbearing women in this room, but all of us as the church, as the people of God. Now, this is key. My goal tonight is not to make a political speech. I am not running for office. 
That is not my job. My job as pastor is to open the word of God, to show the people of God the word of God, particularly as it pertains to issues in our lives, in our culture, in the church. And abortion is a major issue in our lives, culture, and the church. And I want the people, you, that God has entrusted to my care as a pastor, I want you to know what God's word says about abortion. I want you to see the severity with which scripture addresses it so you can think and speak biblically about it so you can stand boldly against it. So I want to be clear on one hand, but I want to be compassionate on the other hand. I want to speak strongly and sensitively at the same time. So particularly for, for women and men for that matter who have been involved in abortion in your past. I want you to hang with me we're going to see, you can look in your notes, we're going to look at abortion and God. It's going to lead us to abortion and the gospel. And my prayer tonight is that you would, in the end, you would walk away seeing and hearing and feeling the love of Christ for you. So, so that's where we're going. Hang with me. Now, this is obviously not just an American issue. In the world, over 46 million abortions occur every year. That's 130 thousand abortions occurring every day. A hundred and thirty thousand. Oh, do you do you remember the feeling you had when that many people were killed almost instantly in an earthquake in Haiti? That just shook you? Cause you say, oh it's horrible. Do you remember not long ago when 150, 200,000 people were killed in cyclone in Myanmar and earthquake in China, just back to back. Or a few years ago when tsunami came in Southeast Asia and swept away a quarter of a million people just like that. Massive disasters in our day. What I want you to see tonight is the moral disaster of even greater proportions. 130,000 helpless babies being dismembered and destroyed every single day. And we hardly even notice it. A woman has an abortion almost every second of every day. I do not believe it is an overstatement to call abortion a modern holocaust. I believe that is an understatement because every single month we surpass the number of people systematically slaughtered in the world. And just as German Christians did not need to hide from the reality of what was happening in concentration camps, we in this room cannot, must not hide from the reality of what is happening 3,000 times a day in our country and 130,000 times a day all around the world in abortion clinics. Now, I know I've already made some, some strong statements here, maybe even some that are uncomfortable for you, but I want to show you why in the word. Here's the deal. When we come to the word, we, we don't see the word abortion in the Bible. Instead, we see a theology of who God is, who man is, and how God is working in the world. And I, I'm convinced this is the fundamental starting point for thinking about abortion. Abortion is not primarily a political issue. The goal tonight is not to be Republican or be Democrat. This is not primarily a political issue. It is not primary. Abortion is not primarily a social issue. It's not primarily a women's issue. 
Abortion is not primarily a children's issue. Abortion is primarily a God issue. I want you to raise, raise your sights above all the fray, political, social, women, children, this, this and that. Raise your sights above the fray and see how abortion relates to God. That's, that's our starting point. So you got two texts at the top of your notes. One from Psalm chapter 78, where we started nine weeks ago. So you're, you're holding Psalm 139 in front of you. We're going to about to read that in a second. But I want you to know where, even where we're at tonight started. When, when I knew we would be walking through this, this series on passing the gospel on to the next generation, we would start in Psalm 78. I was reading, meditating, praying on Psalm 78, and it says, this is just a reminder, you don't have to turn there, you can if you want, but the Bible says, we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. God has commanded our fathers to teach them to their children that the next generation might know them, listen to this, the children yet unborn. And as soon as I saw that phrase, the children yet unborn, I couldn't help but ask myself the question, how will we pass the gospel on to the next generation if we eliminate the children yet unborn? And And so I sense God saying, you need to address that phrase in the word, the children yet unborn. And so that's what now leads us to this passage in Psalm chapter 139, a picture that David, the psalmist here, gives us of the unborn. So we're going to start in verse 13 and read just, just four verses. This is God speaking to David. Listen to what he says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray tonight that you would help us to see ourselves in this text. Help us to see where we, each of us in this room, where we once were in our mother's womb. Help us to see your intimate relation with with us at that moment. So help us to see ourselves in this text and then help us to see others in this text. Help us to see babies that are in mother's wombs, even in this room, and babies that are in mother's wombs all across city, country, the world. Show us your relationship to them. We pray. Guard me I pray, we pray, guard me from saying anything, anything at all that does not align with your word. I pray that you would, you would do all of these things as we think about this difficult issue for our good and for your glory. Amen. Okay, three truths that spring from Psalm 139 and are echoed all over Scripture. So we're not going to have time to turn to a bunch of different places, but you might, if you're taking notes, 
I want to write down, just I'm going to throw out tons of scriptures here and there along the way, springing from Psalm 139 that are echoed all over the place. These three truths concerning abortion and God. That's where we're starting. Number one, abortion is an affront to God's sovereign authority as creator. Abortion is an affront to God's sovereign authority as creator. You formed my inward parts, oh God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God is the creator. Keep going in your notes here. He is the giver of life. God alone has the power and authority to give life. A man and a woman can come together in an attempt to reproduce life, but the reality is only God ultimately can produce life. This is his work, only God. Job chapter 33, verse four. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. Job chapter 12, verse nine and 10. In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Your breath is in God's hand. He is the giver of life and he is the taker of life of life. Job 1.21, when Job's children die, tragic picture of Job chapter 1, Job falls on his face and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives life, the Lord takes away life. This is his prerogative. This is his work. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. God says, I put to death and I bring to life. This is my prerogative to put to death, my prerogative to bring to life. That's why, that's why suicide is a sin. Not the unpardonable sin, but definitely sin because it's God's prerogative, God's authority alone to give and to take life. And abortion is an affront to God's sovereign authority as creator. Abortion, like suicide, suicide says, oh no, We're in control of life. We decide when someone lives and we decide when someone dies. Not true. God, our creator alone, makes these calls. We'll get back to David's message in just a minute. But first, I'd like to take a moment to point you to some other resources in which David addresses the topic of abortion. The first is his newest book, Counterculture. In Counterculture, David speaks to some of the most pressing issues of our day, like poverty, same-sex marriage, racism, pornography, abortion, and how we as followers of Christ are called to respond with the gospel. And if you'd like to learn more about Counterculture, purchase a copy of the book, or explore ways you can engage the culture on issues like abortion, visit counterculturebook.com. The second resource is from Secret Church 15, Christ, Culture, and a Call to Action. In Secret Church 15, David dives deep into the Word with the goal of equipping you amidst the rapidly shifting moral landscape in our culture to know God's Word, speak God's Word, and obey God's Word. Secret Church 15 resources, including a small group discussion guide, DVD set, and free downloads of the teaching and study guide are available when you visit Radical.net. Now here's David with the rest of today's message. Abortion is an affront an offense to the authority of the one who gives life and takes life. Second, abortion is an assault on God's glorious work in creation. See this. 
not just the reality of God's authority as creator, but the glory and the beauty of God's work in creation. I want you to see this right after David confesses God's work in creating him. Listen to what he says. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, follow this in your notes. The way God creates people compels praise. The way God creates people compels praise. David is is describing this person-forming work of God that's taking place in the mother's womb. You formed me, my inner parts, you knit me together. Then he responds in worship, I praise you. The way you formed my inward parts, the way you knitted me together in my mother's womb, this work of creation creates awe and amazement. And it does, doesn't it? When you think about it, especially what we know that David did not know, It's awe-evoking, praise-compelling. What happens in the mother's womb leads to worship, to think. Okay, God takes a little egg and sperm. Now, we're not going to go into reproduction 101, but you're following with me, okay? Okay, little egg and sperm. And within two weeks, there is a heart that is beating. And it's circulating its own blood. Within a few more weeks, fingers are forming on hands. Brain waves are detectable. After just six weeks, these inward parts are moving around. Two weeks later, you have discernible fingerprints, discernible sexuality, kidneys forming, functioning. Then a gallbladder. By the 12th week, all of the organs of a baby's body are functional and the baby can cry. All of that. Within three short months, the first trimester, heart, organs, brain, sexuality, movement, reaction, and God on high is doing all of this. That evokes awe, amazement, praise, worship. So then to imagine at this moment, during this time period, to insert a tool. Take a pill. Undergo an operation to definitively rip apart that which is being created. That is an assault on God's glorious work in creation. There is no way around that. Most abortions take place between 10 and 14 weeks of gestation, what they say is the optimal time, quote unquote, for dismemberment and removal. And, and during that time, 10 to 14 weeks, what we just talked about, God has been forming this glorious work of creation. Look at this one picture. I'm gonna show you one picture. This is, this is after one trimester. What God has knit together. See the beauty of what God is doing, the intricacy of the person God is forming to be ripped apart, an absolute assault on his glorious work in creation. Now this is, right here, this is the crux, the crux of the debate concerning abortion. The crux of the debate concerning abortion is what is 
going on in the womb. And God is clear in his word. The womb contains a person formed in the image of God. That's clear. Psalm 139, other texts. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. God is creating, forming a person in his image, unlike anything else in all creation. He's knitting together a human being. Now, people have argued and will argue, well, what is full personhood? When is an embryo or a fetus become a person? And and this really is the the most important Important question. Virtually every argument in the entire abortion controversy comes back to this one question. What is the unborn? What or who is in the womb? Because once that question is answered, every other question comes into perspective. The reality is, if the unborn is not human, then no justification for abortion is even necessary. Some people say, well, the human is not, or the unborn is not a human person. It's just some non-viable tissue mass, just just a part of a woman's body. Others say it's it's only a potential human or a human that's not yet a person. Start playing games with words here. And the reality is, if this is true, then the argument is, is over. If it's not a person, then have the abortion. No justification for abortion would even be necessary at that point. On the other hand, if the unborn is human, no justification for abortion is adequate. No justification for abortion even begins to make sense. This is where I'm indebted to Gregory Kokel, theologian, philosopher, apologist who who wrote a, a good little booklet called Precious Unborn Human Persons. Just a great little resource. People say abortion is such a complex issue. There's just no easy answers. But here's the deal. If that which is in the womb is a person, then abortion is not complex at all. You think about it. Once it is granted... Now, I know, I know there may even be some in this room who, who would say, well, the unborn who's in the womb is not a person. But assume for a second it is a person. That, that which is in the womb is a person created in the image of God. If that is true, then every single justification for abortion falls apart. People say, well, women have the right to privacy with their doctors. Certainly, we all have a right to a measure of privacy. But no privacy argument is ever a cover for doing serious harm to another innocent human being. We have laws that invade our privacy whenever we start harming another person's welfare. Privacy is not the issue here. But women should have the freedom to choose. Sure, in some things, but not all things. Yes, women should have the freedom to to choose in this or that. But women, men for that matter, we don't have the freedom to simply eliminate toddlers when they become burdensome to us. Or teenagers for that matter. Teenagers in this room did not particularly appreciate that comment. And I... I can respect that. No 
woman has the freedom to kill her child. If it's a child, right? No, no, no freedom of choice there. Well, making abortion illegal forces women into back alleys with coat hangers to do abortions themselves. Let's think about this. If it is dangerous to kill a person, should we make it easier for them to do so? If it is dangerous for a man to rob a bank, should we create laws making it safer for him to rob a bank? But more children will create a drain on the economy. When human beings get expensive, do we kill them? I want you to think about this. Coco uh, mentions a little girl named Rachel. Family friends had a little girl named Rachel. I want you to hear his description. Eye-opening. He writes, Rachel is two months old but she is still six weeks away from being a full-term baby. She was born prematurely at 24 weeks in the middle of her mother's second trimester. On the day of her birth, Rachel weighed one pound, nine ounces, but dropped to just under a pound soon after. She was so small, she could rest in the palm of her daddy's hand. She was a tiny, living human person. Heroic measures were taken to save this child's life. Why? Because, Coco writes, we have an obligation to protect, to nurture, and care for other humans who would die without our help, especially little children. Rachel was a vulnerable and valuable human being. But get this, if a doctor came into the hospital room and instead of caring for little Rachel took the life of this little girl as she lay quietly nursing at her mother's breast, that would be homicide. However, if this same little girl, the very same Rachel, was inches away resting inside her mother's womb, she could be legally killed by abortion. That makes no sense. That is utterly ludicrous. If that which is in the womb is a person, a child, everything, everything revolves around what is happening in the womb. And scripture makes this clear. The womb contains a person being formed in the image of God. You cannot believe God's word and deny this. And once this is realized, there is absolutely no adequate justification for abortion. That's all for today's episode. We hope you'll join us next time for the conclusion of this sermon. For more resources from David Platt, including those in other languages, visit Radical.net. And if you'd like to know more about the International Mission Board, visit imb.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.